0: Welcome in, people. I'm so excited to have you back, and I'm really excited for what we have planned for this episode. So, first off, again, big law capitalist. A lot of people ask me, you know, why should I listen to the show? Like, you know, what what, what are you guys trying to do with this? So, the point of the show is to teach you how to start adding passive income to your portfolio, but while also maintaining your current profession, right? So, like, you want to find ways to add to your portfolio without taking away from what is, you know, I consider your active income, right? So it's about adding passive income. One big piece of that is if you're investing in real estate, you're like, where do I invest? I get that question a lot. Well, the question really is more so what can I invest in that's not going to take away from my regular day job, take away from my time, but that I feel comfortable with? That's really the question. And so even if you're not investing in your backyard, right? People say like, oh, well, I need to lay eyes on it. Like, do you, right? Like, if you're investing in the stock market, are you really laying eyes on that? I don't think. No. But are you keeping track of that company? Outside of financials they may disclose, which you may or may not even look at, you're just looking at the stock price, right? So that's where we're trying to get to. Today's guest is a fantastic person to talk to about that because I think it will introduce you to a new market that a lot of people don't really think about who are living outside of the Pennsylvania area, which is Pittsburgh. So my, my friend, my buddy, really good friend of mine, a guy I've invested with, a uh, guy I've invested alongside of uh, John Wappler. He is the president of Evergreen Development uh, Company, and he is one of the smartest people I know. So, without further ado, I want to bring him in. I want to dive in. John, thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. How's it going? It's going well, dude. I appreciate you jumping on, man. We're uh, you know kicking off this show, so I like to I like to have you know good friends, but also people who I think add a ton of value. So. You obviously came to mind first thing. Yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah, man. Well, hey, so I I kind of gave a brief intro as far as who you are, you know, what you're about. But I'd love if you could kind of give us, you know, two or three minutes of like, hey, this is who I am. Like, this is how I got it started. Got started investing.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So my name is John Wapler. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I run a company called Evergreen. So our company uh, we're a real estate acquisitions and asset management business. We buy and hold multifamily and single-family properties to generate an income and equity growth stream for ourselves and for our clients. Nice. Um, we're all based out of Pittsburgh, so all of our assets are here right now.
0: And you're, you're, got, from, you're from Pittsburgh, right?
1: I am, from Wexford. So, grew yeah. up here, went to college pretty locally. I played uh, volleyball at St. Francis University, graduated early, kind of came back into the you know, same area and have been here ever since.
0: And what, what did you do post post undergrad, right? Did you stick around? Like, how did that work?
1: So I ended up actually working for a private equity firm uh, called Prime Rock Capital. They were based out of downtown. They were small. They did mostly like leverage buyouts for small manufacturing companies, angel investments in tech companies, and had some real estate investments as well. And nice. that's actually how I got transitioned into real estate. So i Picked up a project on my own, you know, thinking maybe watching too much HGTV or whatever. <laughs> uh, flip, you know, didn't really understand everything at the time, but it went really well. Um, yeah. So started out with that, had one project, just did it while I worked a W-2 job and then had a basically this goal of, you know, getting out of W-2. I, I don't know that it was as planned as I'd like to think it is now, right? But had that, you know, get to the office at six AM, leave the office at eight, ten PM and kind of was, you know, mid twenties, wanted to start a family at some point. So figured needed to build the reverse engineer build my schedule. So
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like uh like lifestyle hacking, if you will. Um that's awesome, man. I, I guess I didn't realize too like so uh before you kicked off Evergreen, you, you were how long were you at the the PE firm? So I I ended up
1: graduating college a year early. So I was there 2011 to 2014, basically, nice. right at the beginning of 14, and then started out on my own from there. And we we started with, when I started on my own, I, I mean, I had largely nothing, right? What I'd built in a career for three years in terms of cash, so not a ton, but had right. the backing of the private equity group that I was with nice. to an extent, right, that had, had a lot of uh, constraints on that backing, but if deals fit the right framework, we had built a really good relationship. They were happy to jump in. Their model was uh, not long term; everything was short term. Like deals were like one year horizon. Um, right. So it was get in, get out, execute the strategy. And we started doing a couple of deals together that way: uh, buy a portfolio and break it down and sell sell it off with the idea that you know you could make more money selling each house individually than you could. If you bought the whole thing, took care of one landlord's problem. So we right. we started that uh, in 2014, myself and partner from the, the company that I was with. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, I'd come to learn firsthand the tax implications that come from, <laughs> uh, you know, buying and selling real estate for a profit. Right. And basically wanted to make something that wasn't so much that you have to like eat what you kill every year. Right, yep. where you have to go in, buy, you have to find a new project because you're buying it, you're renovating it, and then you're selling it. You've got nothing. It had no longevity. Right. So what we started, I did that from 2014, call it to 2018. And mm-hmm. then over that period, kind of learned that uh, there was another way to do it. And we had operated a portfolio of rentals over that time by virtue of just buying them. And as we divest them, a lot of the portfolio would operate it over the course at that time, but it right. never amounted to like where we had several hundred units or something like that.
0: Right. And th- at this point, where you, where you, when you guys were kind of making the, the pivot, you know, into the longer term stuff, were you also still managing your own properties, or were you kind of cause at, at this point you're kind of out of the W two phase, but you're you know still early on as a company. And I know there, there's some you know economies of scale that come with you know having a bigger portfolio. So early on, I'm thinking, were you managing your, managing your own properties, or what are your thoughts on the sort of the third party? Property manager at that point.
1: Well, at that point, uh, I, I think my thoughts have, have come a long way, and the so I think single and multifamily is different mm-hmm. in terms of how you would manage it and how you want to manage it. Pittsburgh's a unique market in like its stock of housing and characteristics compared to some other larger cities where there's you know not as many four hundred unit communities here situations, right. right? So, at the time, we were doing scattered site single-family portfolios. Mm-hmm. So, they might be within a 10-mile radius, but not altogether, which is hard to manage. And there were... I, I did not find, and I still have not found someone in Pittsburgh that was qualified to... They might have been qualified, but they never care about it the same way that you do when you own it. Right. So, we basically you know, built a management team over time. It started with just me and... I've added members to the team as we've gone along. You know, at the beginning, I did every phase of it from writing the leases, you know, posting the properties online, taking the picture, you know, literally everything. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I've kind of built that out to now we've got a team and I I don't really do much of that at all um, from mm-hmm. a high level, we'll set the business plan from the property. Mm-hmm. and once we set the business plan, the team kind of takes it from there. But I, and honestly, I think property management's largely a terrible business uh, to be like an owner in.
0: It's but tough, dude. Like that just, it, I can't, I mean, you guys do a great job at it. Right. Like, but I think there's, it's for one, it's hard to be good at. And then two, I think the one of the things is you are sort of fighting the uphill battle of like margins, right? Like, I feel like it's like a, it's a margin game. That's, you know, volume is sort of the name of the game. And if you don't have the volume, you're in the margins already slim. So it's like it doesn't make a ton of money unless you can kind of do it in the way that there are some efficiencies kind of built into the system.
1: For us, it's like a break even mechanism. I I don't need to make a or care to make a profit on the management side. It's just to perform, right? Mm -hmm. If we write the pro forma that we're going to have 4% vacancy repairs are going to be this and we're going to collect that in rent, we have to hit that. And it's a control based problem. So we didn't have the control we wanted. So we ended, you know, ended up kind of building it. And I, I have tried several third-party property managers at the you know, mm-hmm. at the beginning, and I would try and asset manage them. It worked, but their own internal problems, you know, ended up being excuses. And they basically just aren't <laughs> the size that you need to be to have enough people yep. that you can fill in when one person goes down. Right. And I think that it definitely exists. I think if you're doing larger scale multifamily, You know, having a regional property manager or a national property manager absolutely is a great way to go. It's one of the ones I I just think as an activity, uh, if you don't have to do it yourself and somebody can do a good enough job at it, you know, I'd be happy to turn this over to someone. And there is a point when you get to like 5,000 units where you can bring it back in house and you have a ton of economies of scale. You basically have your own property management firm and it makes sense. But for sub that, on the multifamily end, I think the third party is the way to go.
0: And and you not only have you built out sort of the management part of it, but like I think there's there's a number of sort of you know subcategories within real estate investing where you've built out not only management, but then also general contracting piece, right? So you've you've built companies within companies. it feels like a sort of inception style.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But- well, it's it's all control and need-based thing. The mm-hmm. construction business was another. Um, we did a development locally and started in 2015 and had a, you know, over the years, we've always had kind of this like value add strategy, mm-hmm. right, where the idea is that there could be management inefficiencies that you can go in and cure those. But like nine times out of 10, the deficiencies that you see are like CapEx related where you have to go in and refresh units to, you right. know, bump your rents and match the market or, you know, some major CapEx implementing those type of programs. And, you know, it was the same situation a lot of people deal with, having a hard time with contractors and,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: sticking to budgets and things like that and and all the things that can go awry with contractors. So uh, due to so ex- many things. Right, all the fun, fun problems that you can have there. Uh, but we ended up building our own construction company to kind of have some control over that and control over the labor sources and material prices and standardization of products so yep. that we could kind of do everything in a uniform fashion, on time, on budget. So we, I think those are, I think that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, I feel like every other vendor and and stuff that we don't want to get like more spread out than that, but right. the construction uh, and construction management business has been instrumental to implementing our business plan in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, in terms of like just again hitting the time, hitting the budget, knowing the budget, and it really helps with speed of analysis on some of the deals. If the um, you know, if you have a proposal where you're gonna buy 25 units and you know, 20 of them need overhauled. Well, right. if you don't we have the we have estimators, we can tell mm-hmm. exactly what that's gonna be quickly. We're gonna get the attention and you know, all the resources that came out of that. That's been super helpful
0: to us. And that's been one of the things I've loved about, you know, working with you guys, you know, uh, between new homes and Evergreen. I think the the fantastic part has been like, when we partner up, it's not, you know, we're not like counting on, okay, we, we have this business plan and we need X, Y, and Z to line up in a in, you know, perfect line, right? So with you guys, it's like, well, we're partnering with a, a well-known, well-established operator in the, in the region, you know, high degree, you know, high reputation, obviously. But then also on top of that, your ability to manage and then your ability to handle the, the CapEx piece, like it, it ensures that whatever business plan we're sort of pitching is the one that we're actually going to be able to make, make happen, right? So like that's, that's huge, man. I'm glad you guys have done that because it, it's benefited a lot of people, myself included. So I appreciate it.
1: Hey, we're, we're happy for, for all of that. And I, and I think, um, yeah, we can jump into this in a little bit too, but I think putting together the pro forma at the beginning of a deal, it look, everything looks great on paper. Right it's about hitting the numbers. And if you can't hit the numbers, then the whole thing was worthless. So you got yeah. to uh, figure out a way to get, you know, to keep that on track. So that's, that's what we've tried to do. And I, I appreciate all the kind words there.
0: Well, dude, I, uh, so no, for sure. And and one of the things I, I tell people, because people come to me a lot of times, you know, especially in our, in, in the legal industry, and they're like, how are you doing what you're doing? And I'm like, well, I'm not creating another job for myself, right? Like, anybody can, you know, people will come to me and they'll say like, hey, I found this really good deal. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, what is it? And they'll, you know, mention the the purchase price and mention like the renovations. And then that's how much ARV is going to be afterwards. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, man. Like, let's get to that middle part, that renovation piece. I would just tack on 25% and I'll tack <laughs> on an additional six months. Cause like, you yeah. don't have time. If you're a legal professional, I can promise you from experience, like you genuinely don't have time to add that extra bit to your lifestyle, right? Like if you're working, billing hours that we bill, and on top of that, if you have a family, like you're not going to want to also manage contractors. And so like what I tell people is build it into your numbers up front, right? Build that stuff in, do the underwriting the right way. Or better yet, if you're truly looking to make it passive, shop that out to an operator, right? Shop that out to somebody who does this for a living, who's looking for those deals. That's what makes the most sense. So I mean, what you're saying makes a ton of sense. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this will get a lot of value out of that because there's no reason to to reinvent the wheel when somebody's doing it well already.
1: 100%. And it, it, I think it goes, you can apply this to a lot of different things, but mm-hmm. somebody that is doing it every single day has just a little bit more like sway, you know, they have relationships and that goes a long way in terms of getting yep. people to the job site and getting the performance to to be there. So, it's not that it can't be done, but it's also what's your time worth at the end of the day as well. Um, yeah. You know, I, I imagine, especially a lot of the guys, you know, are, are making a lot more than it would, you know, a project manager would cost effectively. Right.
0: right. So, it's exactly. like,
1: if, you, if you're boiling that all down, it's absolutely worth outsourcing. That it's, component.
0: Well, many especially, components. Especially, especially for, for lawyers, right? Like, I think, you know, we're we, we kind of make our money, we kind of, we do make our money based on our time, right? So like you actually quantifiably know on a day-to-day basis how much your time is worth. And so thinking through that, you know, and making sure that, that other people, you know, or, you know, people you are trying to control, right? Third party, you know, property managers, third party, um, you know, contractors aren't then taking away from what otherwise makes you your money, right? That you're, that you're good at the value add that you add to the, you know, sort of to the equation. So so I want to pivot on that because I think we've talked about Pittsburgh kind of, you know, on the periphery, but with the current landscape, right? Like with things, how things are sort of shifting, right? You know, rates are going up, you know, we're headed towards what feels like a recession, you know, GDP has been slowly creeping down. And so I want to ask you, you know, where do you, where do you stand on the current landscape? You know, maybe specifically talking about Pittsburgh at first and then just kind of broader in a broader sense. Like, how do you feel about the current investing landscape?
1: So, I think it's an interesting time because there's been a lot of external factors that have affected the multifamily, single-family market that nobody could have predicted. Mm-hmm. And then we're feeling those effects right now from stimulus checks to work from home to unemployment, all of the to rising home prices to compressing cap rates and rising interest rates, right? All of that is like, coming to this point where, what, what do you do today, right? Rates are going right. up every single day. Cap rates aren't seeming to decompress in the way that they should. Um, yep. You know, right. my feel for the market is actually is not much different than where we normally are. Mm-hmm. I still feel like the value that is there needs to be created, right? right. I, we don't manage a large pool of funds, right? We're not managing a billion dollars and we're making a capital allocation to real estate as a part of a larger portfolio. And and we just sit there and let it, right? This is an actively managed investment where we're seeking deals that earn a targeted return. Yep. So the deals still exist. You have to work a little harder to get them. Um, where we've had all of our luck during the pandemic and mostly prior to is creating off-market relationships where you can have honest conversations with the seller. And negotiate based off of real terms, right? Yeah. You see a lot of these deals; they hit LoopNet and you know the pro forma. It looks really good, but oh, that, all that of the numbers on there are made up,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we like to work off T twelve income statements. Just figure out what the last twelve months actually were and run our numbers for that. So as long as we're in this like positive environment uh, for interest rates, where in where cap rates are higher than interest rate. I think there's still a lot of good opportunities. When they flop and interest rates are higher than cap rates, it will change things a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what's really unique uh, about right now is what you're seeing, and you see this every day too, is like how sponsors are modeling deals, right? right? They they say the last year we've had in Pittsburgh 14% rent growth. And then they extrapolate that over the next five years.
0: Yeah, just carry like it forward. right? Right.
1: That's highly unlikely to happen. (laughs) Although I understand how you come up with those trends. Um, So we've kind of been building these pro formas to have no additional rent growth. And you look at that as basically, you know, gravy if it happens, right? right? We we want the deal to work for its current capabilities um, or what its current capabilities could be if you were to like, you know, bring it back to the marketplace, right? We're always looking for these, like what we call lazy assets, maybe owners owned it for 15, 20 years, maybe shorter, but they haven't caught rents up to where they could be. If rents are a dollar a square foot and the portfolios rented at 50 cents, you know, you have a gap that you can bring that up. And as long as you have a reasonable period of time to do it and an appropriate budget to update those units to get there, the deals still exist. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the belief that trees grow to the sky. Right, I think there's going to be a ceiling at some point with right. uh, some of the asset values, but it it's going to continue to grow slowly. Um, I think the opportunities that we're seeing are going to come from people that have made bad assumptions at one point in time. Right. right, they took out bridge debt based on you know hitting some pretty optimistic growth targets or building something with some pretty optimistic assumptions that may or may not come true, and yep. being able to jump on and capitalize on those opportunities is going to be uh, very important. I think that's where we're kind of putting our efforts. So we're not um, actively not, we're, we're always looking, right? Deal development is like a critical, one of the four pieces that we're working on for our business every single day. Um, right. I think the national market, uh, there's a lot of, I don't know if it's disagreement. Maybe it seems to be like everybody feels like there's an undersupply of housing, but, right. um, I, you know, if you ever read any of Ivy Zellman's stuff, I think she's really well polished on this and kind of doesn't believe that there is. It's more of like a factor of like who's moved in with family and how you actually view the housing stock. Right. I, I think if we oversupply housing, that would be the concern from a national level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I think that same original Pittsburgh philosophy is going to apply largely, again, doing deals with good fundamentals across the country. And I do think rates will, cap rates are going to decompress a little bit here. Um, yeah. you know. like they
0: have to, right? Like, I mean, just the, the way the fundamentals work, like, I feel like they have to sort of widen at a certain point.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be, you know, unless rent growth continues to just surge, um, that's the only way you'll be able to do right. deals and, you know, stay above water effectively.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, yeah, that that's that's a really good point because people will ask me like, well, hey, like, should I even touch commercial real estate right now? Should I touch real estate in general? And I'm like, there's never a time that I'm d- you're going to convince me not to at least be out looking for deals and not to sort of find opportunities, right? But that's the key, right? And that, that's any market. I mean, even when it was it was free money for a while, right? When when Capital was like, oh yeah, we'll just kind of we'll give this way two percent. There you go. Like when that yep. even when that was happening. You still had to be savvy and find the opportunity. So it's just a matter of, you know, building it into your underwriting. I tell people, you know, no matter what, we're always underwriting conservatively because at the end of the day, if you were doing the pie in the sky math, you're going to end up with, you know, nothing garbage in hand, you know? so, uh, we, we make sure that when I'm, when I'm telling people like, Hey, you know, do you want to get involved? It's not from a, because I want you to be involved. It's from a, because if you're not somebody else's, right, like the the John Wofflers yes. of the world, like we are, you know, you're actively out there. You're still doing deals. It's just changing the the way your performance looks, changing the numbers, changing the equations, so that it more so matched up with the realities of today, right? So yeah, I think that's that's a really good point, um, which kind of gets me back to one of the earlier things we talked about, which is like when you cut your teeth in, in investing, when you're at the PE firm, and you jumped out. Did you expect to get to, and I guess this I have a follow up to this. Did you expect to get to the level you're at now, and also then where do you see yourself? Right, like kind of tell us, you know, where are you at now versus where you were back in 2014 when when you were making the leap.
1: 2014, right? We were at zero units. Well, with a one unit under my belt as a sponsor, bunch under my belt as like an analyst, right, mm-hmm. underwriting deals, but that doesn't count. Yeah. Um, where the goal for me with this is like a passive income stream that you can. Use and continue to build upon, and an equity growth stream that you can use and continue upon, build mm. upon. That was always the goal. Um, we've eva- like basically taken the strategy from the beginning, and as things come into place, fine tuned it essentially with a residential focus. But we're we're 180 homes right now locally. Uh, that's somewhere mid 20 million assets uh, here, and then you know we're looking to probably double that uh, within like the next three years as a goal
0: um, fantastic
1: yeah it's, it's, it's exciting
0: like, that's jet fuel for anybody who who enjoys you know um, investing and enjoys you know success man like that that's absolutely fantastic
1: appreciate that yeah it's uh it's definitely I, I don't know where I thought it would be right I had goals <laughs> at the beginning of st- starting a REIT and then like, as we got into it and down the weeds for a read, the tax advantages aren't the same as they are in private real estate. There's a million reasons why we didn't go that direction. But right. absolutely. I don't know that I saw this directly, but, you know, kind of keep building towards it and it worked out.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, hey, so so just for some practical tips, right? For, for people listening, you know, a lot of the people listening, don't get me wrong, highly educated people, right? Like who who do very well, very successful. But at the same time, they don't do this day in and day out like me and you. So um, if they're looking at a deal, say a sponsor tosses them a deal, right? And they're like, okay, I have a pro forma in front of me or I have you know, this prospectus or this PPM in front of me, private placement memorandum sitting in front of me and I'm running through it. What are some metrics that you would tell you know somebody looking to invest with you or somebody investing with you who wants to look at another shop, right? Like, What would you tell them? What are some metrics you should look at from another sponsor or another deal? I mean, let's make it a deal on a deal basis that would jump out to you and say like, Hey, this is important. Look at this, right. Cash on cash, um, IRR, like what are some things you would tell people like focus on?
1: Yeah. Listen, I think it's two different responses from whether you're the sponsor running the deal and how you kind of came up with those areas and things to select because it breaks it down like one level further back to start Mm -hmm. at like MSA data and picking Mm -hmm. the right MSA. And there's, you know, several odd metrics we use to like screen MSAs. We're here in Pittsburgh, we know it. So it's our backyard and we kind of pick the submarkets because right. at the end of the day, real estate is hyper local period. And then yep. kind of breaking down some of that demographic data. But as far as like comparing deals to themselves and making sure that you, if you have several opportunities in front of you, pick the right ones, uh, there's a variety of important factors, even before you get to the deal. Like the sponsor right. is an important thing, Right having trust with the sponsor, having a track record and having experience in the asset class, those are like fundamentals to just, you know, even being considered to do that type of thing, yep. right? There's a, you know, I've heard this from several people before, but there's always that myth that, or I don't know that it's a myth, but like one of the typical real estate sayings, it's, you know, if you find a, a find a deal, the money will find you or, you know, right. great, but you need, the person running the deal has to be a good operator. Otherwise, yep. they're not going to hit the budget in the pro forma that's set for the deal. And they may have found a good deal, but they may screw it up somewhere between purchase and sale. And, you know, so that's like step one. Uh, yep. And there's a variety of ways you can evaluate that sponsor. Um, and a lot of it's going to be asking questions. It's a lot of it's going to be contained in their PPM. Right. Um, actual metrics. The, I think the best metric is definitely IRR, right? Mm. It's the most uh, neutral way to compare one project to the next. It's based on cash inflows and cash outflows, right? That right. is definitely important. I think an overlay to that and where people get aggressive, maybe overly optimistic on the IRR is when it's not heavily weighted enough in cash on cash returns. And a lot of those returns are based on appreciation, but this right. is a market-specific thing that you can underwrite, right? You can look at if, if the deal's in Denver and they've had like 10% rent growth a year documented for 10 years. Absolutely. You you can bank at some point on that appreciation and the cap rate, you know, you buy at a four and a half cap rate and you exit at a four and a half cap rate. Perfect. It's going to be heavy IRR. It's going to be low cash on cash to start and yep. building as time goes along. Cash on cash, obviously an uh, important metric, just the, basically based on your upfront investment, what cash you're earning annually over that. Um, The good thing about IRR is it's independent of time, right? You're going to, if you have a project that's, you know, seven years versus a project that's one year, you know, people look at ROI effectively, but ROI doesn't take into account the time value of money. So it can be a bad metric for people to use. Um, I think looking at, you know, if, if you, Want to get into how the sausage is made? Of some of the deals and people looking at like verifying the assumptions: do the market rents look good? Are the leverage ratios good? Uh, you know, what's the LTV? If you're looking at two deals and the IRR is the same, and one uses sixty percent leverage and the other uses eighty, well, it's a no-brainer. Use this, go with the sixty percent leverage deal. It's less risky. Those type of things. I think one of the metrics we like to use too, that's not like conventional, is like cap rate off of your basis because uh-huh. it really shows you what you would earn if you owned the deal in cash. Yep. Um, and then putting your own overlaying your I own, own tax totally situation. Yeah. It, it's nice to know, because the cap rate is great metric, and it, it functions effectively the same way. But if you have all these soft costs baked into the deal at the beginning, title, some improvements, whatever else, it, it's not a six cap. It's really like a five cap, because you have to put an extra million dollars into the property in soft costs. But
0: right. um, well, hey, let that's... Let me, yeah. Let me change gears just real quick, because before I, before we dive too deep, I wanted to ask you, and I don't, I don't don't want to miss that. We got a, a hard cap for the viewers, um, yeah. which again, thank you to you, John, for joining us. But I wanted to chat with you just real quick, your, your why of it all, right? And I think, I think it's, you know, building that sort of passive income, but is there like a, a, a deeper reason as far as like your why, right? Like family, uh, legacy, any of that stuff.
1: Sure. Um, the why for me is family um i feel like we're just super fortunate to be in the position that i'm in right you know at some point my every generation has got like one level of improvement goes from working in a coal mine to working right. in a factory you know to working a like you know blue collar job and and it's kind of like in my family gone like every dad has been able to step that up to the next level so right. my objective with this is to like Be able to provide for my family, maintain the flexibility to go to kids' sports games, uh, you know, whatever else, be there as a dad, but also be able to give my kids and family a platform that they can continue that improvement, help give back and things like that. So that's more so the why for me, Uh, flexibility, family, uh, all of that. And and again, kind of generating that income growth stream off of real estate. Real estate gives you a unique ability to do that as opposed to some other professions. It's not trading time for money, but you know, yeah. that's the point.
0: That's fantastic, man. Well, I, I got to say, thank you so much, first off, for jumping on. I know how busy you are. So I do appreciate it, man. Is there any, any social media you want to plug? I know uh, we're going to obviously toss it into the, the show notes, but if there's anything you want people to check out, feel free to plug it.
1: Yeah, we're not super big on social media, but we have our uh, Instagram Evergreen PGH and Evergreen Asset Management. Um one's our construction company, the other's our asset management company so you can check us out there.
0: Nice. Awesome. John, absolute pleasure as always. Audience, my people, thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it. At some point, jump in our comments, jump into our DMs, tell us your why, right? Tell us why you're in, why you want to start investing, why in passive income is important to you. Loved having you on, John. Thank you, everybody else. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. All right, we did it. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. I really, really do appreciate it. Do me a big favor. If you want to be a part of the Big Law Capitalist community to stay up to date with all of our latest episodes, you got to hit that subscribe button. Super important. But I can't thank you enough for joining me this week. I'll see you next time. Peace.